all of a sudden, I heard somebody say, I believe. And of course, it, it caught my attention, of course. And it was really unusual because it was not at a church service. It was not at a Bible study. And it was not even at like somebody's baptism or something. It was at a football game. I heard somebody shouting a profession of faith at a football game. Because let me just put things in context. I'm not one to go to football games. And um, I never went to football games when I was a high school student. But when I became a teacher, I realized that one of the ways that I could show that I care is by simply showing up. So my students would invite me to come to their soccer games, and I would show up, and invite me to come to their volleyball games, and I would show up. But I really didn't show up to any of the football games because that's not what I do on a Friday night. But then I decided, you know what? This could be a way that I show that I care. So I showed up to their fifth game last year, King's High School football game. I showed up to their fifth game. They would already played four games, and apparently I hadn't missed much because they were on a four-game losing streak. <laughs> and this was now their fifth game, and this time they were facing an opponent that was actually worse than them. So I show up to the game, and the Kings team is winning. They're beating their opponent. They're not just beating them. They're spanking them. <laughs> and I'm enjoying the spanking. And all of a sudden, I heard a student shout, I believe. And of course, that got my attention. And all of a sudden, the other student said, repeated after him, I believe. And I realized that it was a back and forth chant. And then he said, I believe that. And they said, I believe that. And he said, I believe that we will. And they said, I believe that we will. And he said, I believe that we will win. And all of a sudden, him and all this, these students, they started jumping up and down, up and down, chanting, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. And I'm looking at them, and I'm wondering to myself, what is there to believe? You are already winning. <laughs> I mean, the better chant or the most accurate chant would have been, I see that we will win. <laughs> Not I believe that we will win. Now, but then I realized that this is so much like human nature. Um, have you noticed how easy it is to believe that we will win? when we are already winning. But it's a whole nother story to believe that we will win when we are losing. I'm not talking about losing in, in football games or, or losing in politics. Th those are superficial stuff. I'm talking about losing in things that hit closer to home. Hit things, losing in things that hit close to the heart. 
when you're losing in that area, it is hard. It is hard to believe and to keep hope alive that you will win. Now, believe it or not, this is where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 15. If you can turn your Bibles there, if you, if you brought your Bibles with you, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1. Genesis 15, verses 1. Now, we find this man, his name is Abram, we're in the middle of his story, we're in the middle of Abram's story, and on a superficial level, Abram is winning. He, according to the metrics of our society, Abram is winning. Abram is winning in wealth. Abram is winning in fame. Abram is winning in power. Abram is even winning with a hot wife. I'm just keeping it real. I mean, this is what the Bible says. I'm not, I didn't make it up. I mean, we know that his wife was hot because he was so afraid that people would kill him just to have her. So he's winning according to the metrics of our society. But according to the, mat the metrics of the ancient society, Abram was losing and losing big because he did not have this one thing. Abram did not have an heir. Abram did not have a child. Abram did not have anybody to pass all of his winnings onto. Abram was fatherless. Now this makes it his situation even more awkward because the name Abram, we haven't even gotten into Abraham the name, but his first name, Abram, before his name was ever changed to Abraham, the name that he first has, the name that his father gave him, Abram, the name Abram means exalted father, which means his name, which means he was not living up to his name. His name was saying that he was winning, but his reality was saying something totally opposite. This was where we find Abram in Genesis chapter 15. He's winning in all these different areas except in this, in this one area that the ancients considered big and important. But before we jump there in Genesis 15, you have to understand the backstory. The backstory is the reason why he's losing it says that in Genesis 11, verses 30, it says that his wife, Sarah, did, was barren. She could not have any children. Genesis 11, verses 30. And yet, in the midst of this context, by the time you get to the following chapter, in Genesis 12, something extremely epic happens. This man that's a fatherless man, by the time you get to Genesis 12, this is what happened. God comes to him and tells him this. Genesis 12, verses 1, God tells him this. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. From your, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great 
nation. I will bless you and, I will, and, and make your name great. And you, you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the, all the families of the earth shall be Barak. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's so, there's so much to say here, but the, the, I'm just going to summarize and say this. God gives him a promise that he's not only going to win, but he's going to win big. He, it's going to be an epic win. The, the kind of winning that God's going to give to Abram is going to impact all of the world. All the families of the world are going to win, are going to be blessed because of Abraham. And then God gives him a second promise, which is in Genesis 12, verses 7. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. That's the second promise that God gives to him. And then when you go to Genesis chapter 13, God gives him another promise in Genesis chapter 13. Verses 14, it says this, verses 14, it says this, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, Lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your seed also could be numbered. Now God is telling this fatherless man that you are going to have children and that you are going to have descendants and those descendants are going to be numerous as the sand. God is telling Abraham that he's going to win big. He's going to win big. He's going to win epic. And he's going to win epic in a place that re that's related to where he's losing. Seed. Seed. His seed is going to be as numerous as the sand. Now, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is still fatherless. By the time we get to Genesis 15, 15, Abraham is still fatherless. What that means is Abraham is still losing in an area that the ancients in that time considered important. But now, you can't miss this. You cannot miss this. The losing that Abraham is experiencing now is different from the losing that he was experiencing before God gave him the promises. Before God gave him the promises, he was losing because he was, you know, sometimes you get married and your wife is barren. It's biological. And sometimes these kinds of things that happen, and that happened back in that time, it happens now. But now, after all of these promises that God has given to Abram, Abraham, Abram is losing in an area for which God has already promised that he would win. Abram is losing in an area that God has already promised 
that he would win and, and win in an epic way. Can anybody relate? Can anybody relate? Have you ever been in that place where God has promised you that you would win in this area, but you keep on losing in an area for which God has already promised that you would win? Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Have you experienced that in 2020? Have you ever experienced losing in areas for which God had said you would win? That's where we find him. So look what happens in Genesis 15 verses 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid. We're just going to pause right there. God says to him, do not be afraid. That, um, this word in Hebrew is yare, yare. Do not be afraid. Um, this is the second time in the entire Bible that the word afraid appears. The first time this word appears is in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve had sinned, Adam says to God, I was afraid. That was, the, that was, that was the, the first time ever that that word appears in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve sinned. After that very moment, fear enters into the human experience and into human nature. The next time this word appears is right here in Genesis 15. This is the second time that, that this word, Yahweh, in, in Hebrew, in English, afraid, this is the second time this word appears in the Bible. But this is the first time in the entire Bible that God says to somebody, do not be afraid. This is the first time God is going to say this many, many other times after this. But this is the first time we have in the entire Bible where God tells somebody do not be afraid. Now, this seems kind of unusual because Abram, what we know about Abram is that Abram is a man of faith. So why is God telling a man of faith, do not be afraid? Why is God telling a man of faith, do not be afraid. Well, God is a realist. And God knows that although Abram is a man of faith, Abram is still a human being. God is a realist. And not only does God know that Abram is a human being, God also knows that Abram, although he's a man of faith, Abram is a man of faith with a Fear problem. Abram is a man. I know you. I know you. 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 You sung those songs that says Father Abraham and many sons, and all the songs that we know about Father Abraham is only positive. So we never ever hear about Abram struggling with fear. But the reality is, Abram struggled with 
fear. We know that. I mean, right there, if you just go back to Genesis 12, I mean, Abram right there, beginning in Genesis 12, he is walking by faith. God gives him this promise, and he's, oh yes, I believe, and he steps out in faith. He's walking by faith, but as soon as he gets to Egypt, he becomes afraid. We know that he becomes afraid, because if you go back to Genesis 12, if you go to Genesis 12, he says to his wife, verses 11, Genesis 12, verses 11, and it came to pass when he was close to entering, in, in, entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Translation in modern terms, I know that you're hot. I know it. Verses 12. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Now, this is super strange, guys. This is super strange. That first of all, that he's making this request of his wife, and the second of all, that he's afraid that they will kill him. I'm going to tell you why this is super strange. Let me tell you why this is super strange. Because go back to the, to the, to the start of Genesis 12. The start of Genesis 12, in verses 2, God tells him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will, and, and I will curse you. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has given him a precious promise that he will protect him and that he will bless those who bless him and curses him who curses him. But guess what fear has done to Abram and what fear does to me and you? I'm going to show you what fear does. One, the first thing that fear attacks is our memory. One of the first thing that fear attacks is our memory. In the case of Abram, fear made him forget the promises of God. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? The other area that fear affects is our communication. When we are afraid, we not only start speaking, uh, talking dumb and saying dumb things, but we start saying those dumb things to the very people that we love. Fear affects our communication. Third thing that fear affects is our expectations. God has already told Abraham, I'm going to do this for you in the future, but now he's afraid of these people and is affecting his expectation of what's going to happen in the future. And lastly, Fear affects our relationships. Fear affects our relationship. The moment you start dreading, the moment you start being driven by faith, it's going to affect your horizontal relationship and your vertical relationship. And here is Abram. He's being driven by fear, and that's now a affecting his relationship with his wife, but not just affecting his relationship with, with his wife, that's also affecting his relationship with his God. It's real. Fear affects every single area of your life. And the root cause of fear is 
our focus. Our focus. The moment we turn our focus from what God has said, from who God is, and we put our focus on ourselves, on people, on the things around us, the moment we do that, our foundation becomes unstable and we start to freak out. And when Abraham started to freak out, he started to be afraid. He was afraid that he would lose his life. And he was more afraid of losing his life than his wife. So he was willing to sacrifice his wife to save his life. Abraham is a man of faith. But what we see here is that even a man of faith can have a fear problem, and that fear problem can cause a lot of problems, not just in your relationships, and not just in your horizontal relationships, but also in your vertical relationships. And so that's why we get to Genesis 15, and in Genesis 15, God shows up, and the first thing he tells this man of faith is, fear not. Fear not. Because God is a realist. God knows that you can be a person of faith and still have a fear problem. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? You can have, you can be a person singing, worshiping, having right theology about God and still battle with fear. Still battle with fear. And we see that here in the story of Abram. Abram is a man of faith. He, has, he is following God. He has already left his father's house to go to the promised land. And yet, he's still struggling with fear. Fear of loss. Fear of loss. If you look at the root cause of all these fears that we have, all of these Fears are relating to fear of loss, fear of loss of something or someone that's related to us. And God comes to Abram. God knows that Abram has a fear problem. So God comes to him. And the first thing that God tells Abram is, do not be afraid. We're still on verse 1. <laughs> The second part of verse 1, it says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is incredible. This is so incredible. So not only does God tell Abram, do not be afraid, but now the second part that he tells him is, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So basically, what God is telling to Abram is, Abram, you have won. You have won. You have won God. You have won me. God is telling Abram, you have won the greatest thing in the universe. You have won God. Now, <laughs> this is mind-blowing, guys. So after God has told Abram that he has won God, I, I, I'm just super curious what Abram is going to say. I, I wonder if Abram said, I've won you. Okay, I'm good now. I'm good now. I mean, like, uh, you know, case closed. I'm, my life is fulfilled. I wonder if that's what Abraham is going to say. Because, like, what else, what, what else can top winning God? Can anything top 
Nothing can top winning God. God has just told Abraham that he has one God, that he's winning in his relationship with God. So I wonder what Abraham is going to say. Verses 2. Verse 2 begins with but. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's, let's, let's find out what Abraham said. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? What do you mean, Abraham, what will God give you? God has just told you that he has given you him. He's already told you that he's given you him. What do you mean, what will you give me? What are you talking about, Abraham? But here's what God said. Here's what Abraham said. Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. That's fear talking, guys. That is fear talking. That's not faith talking. That is fear talking. And now you understand why God tells Abram, do not be afraid. You can see in the words that Abram is saying, that is not faith talking. God has already promised a seed. But now Abram is saying, you have given me, look what Abram said. He said, Lord God, what would you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram is already speaking to the future and he's saying he has no heir. That is fear talking. That is not faith talking. That is fear talking. But then the other part is that um, that's why you have to be very careful because losing, especially when you lose something that you really want, that can really affect your perspective. That can really affect your perspective. And that can really affect your priorities. And you can get to that point of thinking that that thing that you don't have, that thing that you haven't yet experienced is better and greater than the experience of having the almighty God. I mean, at that very moment, after, after God told Abram, I am your shield, your great reward, that should have been a praise break. Abram should have paused right there and said, all right, it's time to worship and praise God. But instead, he's complaining and he's saying, you have given me no heir. Even though God has already promised him that he's going to have an heir. So what's, what, what is God going to do? What is God going to say? Is he going to just smite him and just say, okay, I'm going to start all over. You're unbelieved. I can't believe after all these promises I've said to you. This is where you're at, Abram. What is God going to say? No, he's not going to do that. God's going to work with Abram. Verses 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. All right. And then look what happened. Verses 5. And then he brought him outside. And said, look now towards heaven. This is going to be very important. Count the stars. See if you are able to number them. And he said, 
so shall your seed be. So shall your seed. Abram is still losing, and he's complaining that he doesn't have an heir, and God does not tell Abram, okay, here's an heir right now. Here's a child right now. You're going to have a child in the next nine months, Abraham. All right. Instead, what God does to Abraham is he gives him another promise. But before he gives him another promise, he takes him outside and he tells him, look. Look now towards heaven. See if you're able to number the stars. So shall your seed be. This is going to be, we're going to come back to this, but first let me see, let us see uh, Abraham's response to this, verse 6. And the Bible says, and he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, this word believe, you guys, what, you guys know what that word uh, means in, in Hebrew? That, that word believe in Hebrew is Amen. Amen. That's where we get the word amen from. It's right there in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word believe is amen. So when the Bible says Abram believed in the Lord, what it's saying is Abram amen the Lord. And this is the first time in the entire Bible that this word shows up in the Bible. This word amen that's going to show up many, many other times, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Jesus, so in your, in, in your New Testament, when, when you are reading the Bible and it says, um, verily, verily, I say to you, or some trans- translation says, truly, truly, I say to you, that's actually Jesus saying, amen, amen, I say to you. It, Jesus actually, when the writers of the New Testament were writing the Bible, they, instead of using the Greek word, they actually, in that part, used the Hebrew. It, they, did, they, they didn't even try to find some sort of uh, Hebrew, uh, Greek equivalent. They used the Hebrew word, and they were saying, Amen, Amen, I say to you. But in the Old Testament, this is the very first time in the Old Testament that this word appears. And it's with this man who was fearful and afraid and in one chapter in only a few verses we see a man transitioning from being fearful and afraid to amening the lord we see this man being fearful and afraid and focusing on his loss to saying amen to the promises of God. Amen to what God has said. Amen to what God has shown him. How does he make that transition from being fearful and afraid to saying amen to God, to being the first person in the entire Bible that we see that believes God. He's the first person in the Bible, in the entire Bible, that the Bible says he believed in the Lord. First time. Prior to Abraham, we've seen that people have a struggle with believing in God. God creates Adam and Eve and tells them, do not eat of this. In the day that you eat of this, you shall die. And the first temptation that they get, they disbelieve what God has promised. They have a problem 
with believing in God. After that, believe and trust in God becomes a big problem. Even Noah, a man that was the Bible describes as perfect, just, and righteous, after the flood, you find him drunk and naked doing the exact same things that God had wiped out the other people for. Now, Noah is back at it. By the time we get here in Genesis 15, in only a few verses, we see a man transitioning from being fearful and afraid to being a man that we know as the mighty man of faith. The Bible says Abram believed in the Lord. What was that transition from being fearful and afraid to believing in God? Here it is. The transition is right here in verses 5. Right here in verses 5. And then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven. What is happening is that God is shifting his focus. And the moment he shifts his focus, Abram is able to get the faith that he so desperately needs. Here's the thing that's so ex extremely important. Faith and fear are actually connected. Here's the way that they're connected. Both of them are related to where our focus is at. Both of them are related to where our focus is at. With faith, it's related to being where our focus is on the promises of God, what God has said, who God is. And when our focus is there, we become filled with faith. Fear, on the other hand, is also related to where our focus is at. Fear can be related to our focus on people. Fear can be related to our focus on our losses. Fear can be related to our focus on ourselves, on our issues. Fear is related to where our focus is at, and so is faith. So God comes in verses 5 and shifts the focus of Abraham from himself to God, from his losses to his future wins, from being self-centered to being God-centered, from being focused on the present to being focused on the future that's rooted in the promises of God. How is that related to you and me? Well, this year has been a year of a lot of losses. Can, can you guys relate? This year has been, a, the struggles this year have been real, and we all have faced them in a diversity of ways. And we, like Abraham, have been tempted to be afraid. Even though we are people of faith, just like Abraham, Fear has been a real problem for us. Can we guys, can we keep it real and say that? Fear has been a real problem for every single one of us. And, and, and we are tempted every single day to have our focus in the wrong place. On people, circumstances, politics, uh, COVID, all these very different things. And all of these various things, when our focus is on these things, and our losses that are experiencing to all these things, we're going to freak out, have a meltdown, and just get stressed out because we are afraid. But one of the things that God wants to do in our lives is that he wants to shift our focus. He wants to shift our focus from our losses to our future in his promises. God wants to shift our focus 
from being self-centered to God-centered. God wants to shift our focus to Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. And when our focus has been shifted onto the promises of God, we will find that we will be people full of faith, full of hope, and full of joy. And when you get to that moment where your focus is completely on the right place, you can worship from a beautiful place. You can worship, hallelujah, from a beautiful place. And here's what I want. We're going to worship right now. And I just want everybody just to close your eyes, and I'm going to teach you a new song. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you a new song. So just close your eyes. And at first, I'm just going to sing this song, and then I'm going to explain to you what that song means. I'm going to sing the song, and I'm going to explain to you what that song means. And then... It's an easy song, and then you're going to sing along as well. We're going to worship together. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Wewe mungu mangu. So hakuna mungu kama wewe means there's no God like you. Hakuna mungu kama wewe is just, there is no God like you. And just repeat, hakuna mungu kama wewe, there's no God like you. Hakuna mungu kama wewe, there's no God like you. And then he ends by saying, wewe mungu wangu, which means you are my God. Let's sing it together. Let's, let's do it. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Wewe mungu wangu. Let's repeat it. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Wewe mungu wangu. I'm going to teach you a new part of the song. It says this. Wewe ni alpha na omega. Wewe ni alpha na omega. Wewe ni Alpha na omega, wewe mungu wangu. Which, which is basically saying, you are the alpha and the omega, you are the alpha and the omega, you are the alpha and omega, you are my God. Let's do it together. Wewe ni alpha na omega, wewe ni alpha na omega, wewe ni Alpha na omega, wewe mungu wangu, wewe ni wewe ni wewe ni wewe mungu wangu. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna mungu kama wewe. Hakuna.
Mungu kama wewe wewe Mungu wangu wewe ni Alpha na Omega wewe ni Alpha na Omega wewe ni Alpha na Omega wewe Mungu wangu God we give you the praise we give you the adoration. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are our God. You are our great reward. We extol you. We magnify you. We give you the praise in our losing and in our winning. We give you the adoration. And we believe that through Christ, we will win. Through Christ, we will win. Then through Christ, we have the victory. Through Christ, we have to receive the victory of eternal life. He paid it all. And through him, we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.